0: How to Warm Up Cold Ears by Faith Cunningham. This morning I forgot my earphones, so my ears are exposed to fragments of distant tongues from the raffish-off-licence where my boss-man always smiles at me, a little golden cap on his egg-coloured tooth, or the slosh of the Thames down below. A patriotic tourist boat, a little too saturated for the grey murk they're ooing and aahing at. Every shard of glass, fresh eyes, and even the odd nostalgic one. Or the keys jingling in my pocket as I delve into night to the nearest neon red ring poking its head overground like some omnipresent rabbit. I step into the heat of a thousand breaths underneath. I shut my eyes as I listened to the screech of the tube, jolting in familiar corners like an itch, finally taken care of somewhere on my lower back.
1: City of Forking Paths by Gillian S. Cadell There is a version of myself that falls in love somewhere between Milton Keynes and Euston Station. I am returning to my home in London from a weekend in the countryside alone. I am 22, a freshly minted university graduate, a foreigner. I am sharing a bedroom in a basement flat in King's Cross that periodically rumbles as trains from the Piccadilly line barrel underneath. A few months before, four young men have blown themselves up on the underground in a bus, and the rumbles cease for a while. We remain on edge, but we also grow jaded and nonchalant, which is the attitude I decide to take when our train stops dead on the tracks. There is a bomb threat at Milton Keynes Station. I am sitting at a table with two young men, one dark-eyed and one light. I have listened to their conversation from crew to wherever it is that we sit on the tracks. Having been alone all weekend, I thirst for conversation and in my desperation I break an English rule and speak to them. Frank, the dark-eyed boy, is from Jersey. Ben, the light-eyed boy, is from... I don't remember where, but he wears a Yankees baseball cap that allows me to begin a conversation that flows through the delay, past Milton Keynes, and all the way to Euston, two hours or more. I don't ask for his number, but I learn, in the course of the night, that I walk past the building on Chancery Lane where he works every morning. A week passes. I walk to work every morning down Chancery Lane looking for him. Then, one day, a light-eyed boy walks toward me smiling. I am past him before I realise who he is my friend from the train. There is a version of myself who turns around, smiles back, removes the headphones from her ears, begins again. But I do not stop, and the next morning I take a different route. In the great belly of the city, there are so many versions of myself, so many Bourgesian paths forking. Sometimes I glimpse them. The version who smiled back at the light-eyed boy. The version who got off the tube with the boy she ran into from home. The boy she'd seen a million times at school, yet whose name she never knew. She didn't let him escape at Piccadilly Circus. She recognised the impossible odds that brought them together and knew not to ignore them. Then there's the version who found a way to stay in London after her visa was done, who loved herself enough to start a life there, to never leave. Sometimes in the city I catch these other cells out of the corner of my eye, watching me, watching my children running through the fountain in Russell Square on the hottest day of summer watching my husband join them on the tall slide in Corum's fields, watching me fall in love over and over and over and over.
0: Why I Adore London by Ahan Khan Why do I adore London, I hear you ask. Well, because why not? There is a library of reasons, but that is quite the task. There! Over there! Verdant royal parks, uncountable landmarks. Lockdown came, trapping us in a vast, never-ending, hollow bubble of despair. Optimism converted into gloom. Enough is enough. This is a utopia of madness not a place full of tranquillity and happiness. When all hope was lost, the key to freedom was found. A sense of anticipation. Hope was restored. At least we thought. The six o'clock briefings, filled with restrictions, bound to be suffocated by protesters, London was playing Russian roulette. Just like... Everything in life, it must come to an end. Something is wrong. Disgusting, wretched beast still lingers. Lockdown is in the shadows. London will never surrender.
1: London is still beautiful by Judith Burnett. She walks out of Moorgate into the late afternoon. It had began to drizzle while she was on the underground. The clocks have gone back, and daylight is draining away, sinking into the underworld of pipes and sewers which lie beneath her feet. A black cab rolls by, and gutter water sprays over the curb. Beverly veers to the shop side, where P. B. Walter and Charles Gentlemen's Outfitters shines golden in the twilight. Night is falling like. Black snow. She walks through city office ravines, white bars of light on some but not every floor. Towers shutter the sky. A handful of black-coated figures are patiently waiting at the traffic lights, which turn amber to green. Clarimbeau chocolatier, with rapt delights twinkling on glass dishes in the window, has survived, but Harry's suits has not. There are more people around than there were. Even so, the dense mass of the Bank of England looms, the edges smudged by silver needle drizzle. The Duke of Wellington, made of melted cannons from the Battle of Waterloo, watches Beverley dodge bikers and passers-by. She tacks this way and that, a yacht sailing around distant buoys. She rounds Hoburn and strikes out for the bright lights and gathering crowds of Charing Cross Road. Beverly knows that Mercedes will be enjoyably late. She will arrive all apologies and smiles, wearing the tooled leather and swirly joy of her red Brazilian cowgirl boots. Beverly waits by the theatre, one of their meeting spots. Her phone flashes blue and La Marseillaise rings out. they found a treatment for Covid-19. Beverly pauses, frowns, scrolls. Is it true? Will it work? One day she will rummage for antivirals in the muddle of her kitchen drawer as ordinary as string. A half-empty bus shushes by. It will still rain and she will still wait for Mercedes, who appears tall and bright coming out of Leicester Square. It's so long since I've seen you, they cry. They air kiss with averted faces, Corona style. She smells of coconuts and orchids, thyme concertinas. Despite themselves, they have a watery moment before they let go. Anyway, Mercedes of course knows a place and Beverly falls in behind her, a small wooden boat in the wake of a cruise ship sailing to the red and black world of Café Benito in Soho. Well... Asks Mercedes, her pink cat's tongue licking the coffee spoon. Beverly thinks this is how it will always be. The clocks will go back and forth, and there will be magic and medicine. The days will be carried away by the dark river to the gleaming estuary. The buses will be late once more. London is still beautiful, says Beverly. And they sigh, grateful for this mercy.
0: Love Letter to London by Raphael Cairns Dear London, I have to ask, what makes you think you're so great? I mean, yeah, sure, you've got history, which ain't no mystery because you're proper old like that old tower beside Tower Bridge, been round the block once or twice, and it still looks nice, for tourists. Been there since William the Conqueror, apparently, built on the site of an old Roman fort, survived the Great Fire, and before that, the plague. St Paul's didn't, that's new. Built by Christopher Wren way back when, but I guess that's what you do. You take the hits and roll with the punches and bounce back bigger, better, greater. Greater London. Or faster, higher, stronger, like the Olympics. And thinking about it, that made perfect sense. The global city hosting the Global Games, the home of cricket, the home of tennis it's where football comes, when it's coming home, but it's not all fun and games though. What's that beside Father Thames, the mother of Parliaments? Well, so they say, and they say a lot when the bombs are falling in World War two, what do they do? Did they give up? No, they went down into the basement, underground talking of which, if you want to get around. And you know what else is cool in London? They talk my language. Well, whatever language, really, because London is the melting pot, so that makes it cool and hot. After all, it's got the Greenwich Meridian, the centre of the earth. So after due consideration, you're not just home, you're an inspiration. Thank you, London.
1: Our Little Secret by Shelley Francis This is Our Little Secret, London. The day before I left Australia, I had lunch with my mother on the waterfront. Her frosty disapproval left me feeling cold amongst the warm beginnings of summer. Most memorable, though, was the hint of resentment when she said, "'You'll meet a boy and never want to return.' Your city introduced me to that boy on a delightfully cold evening in December. The crisp air tingled my nose, numbed my fingers and stiffened my toes. But all I noticed was the festive cheer palpitating through Hyde Park Corner. As we explored Winter Wonderland, his cosy chatter bounced through the funhouse and circled around the Ferris wheel. I joked his Christmas jumper was louder than the Bavarian village we drank in. He replied by holding my hand. And that was the warmest I've ever felt. My secret, London. When someone dampens your fire, find a spark that ignites it again. That boy happened to be my spark. Hand in hand, we ventured into the world. But your city is my favourite and here are the parts I love the most. He has that witty Covent Garden humour and sharp eye for entertainment. Out laughing the comedy clubs, his jokes echo through the piazza and his puns intended buzz among the pop-up bars. So go to Covent Garden and serenade the cobbled streets with your laughter. He has that laid-back Clapham charm that picnics on the Common. When the sun appears, his shirt is off and my legs are out. So go to Clapham Common and crack the beers, crank the beats and banter with friends on the green. He has that rush of Piccadilly Circus. He thrives among the crowds but can't understand why I retreat. What was once exhilarating to hear the buskers and see the continuous line of red double-decker buses is now too loud and overbearing. So go to Piccadilly Circus and let it swallow you. Just remember there's light at the end of the tube tunnel. He has that ability to know when I need time out. Tucked away in Vicarage Crescent, my best friend welcomes me with a cup of tea and gossip on her sofa. Her flat hides behind the magnificent old Battersea house. We admire its mystery and charm from her window, both curious and content. So discover a quiet and hidden place like Vicarage Crescent, where you can relax with a friend at the end of the day. My darling daughter... We named you London because you're a result of a sweet collection of memories made while living among her. She is your city, as much as it is mine, and as much as it is anyone's who decides to venture into her arms. With a hint of reminiscence, I hope you find your spark and never want to return. Keep your fire ablaze and you will live a life of adventure and fulfilment one you can lovingly pass on to your daughter. Love, Mama.
0: Boys of Valence Road by Kate Mayer-Curry On the bus to Hackney back from Bow, I spot the road name, one I know. Fortress Valence Road, they called it then, steel braced by time, just like a dealer's den. East London streets hold close-lipped memories, geezers, gaffs, and raids by the police, legends that my class recalled with praise, still living in the shadow of the craze. Flash-ringed fingers, grasped them by the ear and marched them forward into front-line fear. Foot-soldiers in the no-man's-land of crime, with turf wars, fought one postcode at a time. Their steeds were scooters, or their bikes, helmets, ballys, and their armour, nikes. But like their elders felt the bite of steel, not cutthroat razors now. But blades were real. At least one was spitted by a knife, or had a friend already lost to life. They saw the craze as youngers, just like them, embodying the values of true men. They'd seen themselves in photos of the twins in boxing gear with gloves and cheeky grins. End game Life behind the door guests of Parkhurst, Rampton, or Broadmoor. At last, time called. They ended on the ropes. Prison yards, the ring for burned-out hopes. Battling to be top dog, still they sparred. Mourned their mother, handcuffed to a guard. Death alone could slash their tangled cord and tally up the points that both had scored. Locals thronged to watch plumed hearses, tears and hankies, muttered curses. Old school codes that my class knew. Family values, tight and true. Amidst the world of drugs and guns, they always showed they loved their mums. Every birthday, Mother's Day, bought flowers and chocolates like a cray. Just... Teenage boys, their naive innocence, protected by a wooden garden fence.
1: Pockets of London by Jack Exton My favourite bits of London, the small meandering streets, the pockets tucked away. I step down from the station, glass walls towered high, one foot ahead of the other. Strangers pass by, umbrellas open, leather shoes tap against the cracked paving of the main road. I turn. The paving is now cobbled. Independent coffee and butcher's shops line either side of the narrow lane and, tucked behind the little window panes, Thick glass bottles of gin. Sorry, I bump into a gentleman, tall and clean-shaven. He holds a newspaper under his arm. 1838 Bong, chimes St Paul's, deep and strong. Just like a true Londoner, I'm back. I turn the corner and am once again met with the giants I live amongst. They tower over me. I feel small but safe. I step back onto my London bus, tall and red, ready for another adventure. A pocket I haven't yet seen. A piece of history. Sitting. Ready to be rediscovered.
0: London Still Sparkles by Harriet Salisbury Heading up the M4, squabbling in the back seat, watching for the sparkle of the Lucasade sign, we swoop over the houses, counting down the minutes until the tall martini clock tells us it's time. Rushing past the Thames with its ABC of bridges and power station, Lying like a dog on its back, greeting fellow puffineers and going to see the pelicans, following the street names on an A to Z map, clutching cardboard tickets as the train clacks into Paddington, exploring Portobello and visiting the zoo. We stand in awe at two swords, deafened by Trafalgar's roar and put our copper pennies in the turnstile at Kew. We dress in Bieber boas, though the IRA is bombing, and stand against the National Front in Laura Ashley frocks. We're FOE and CND. No atom craft, nein Danker. Hear us chant for freedom in our peeling stuccoed squats. The Barbican's a labyrinth, and Lloyd's is turning inside out, there's a riot in Trafalgar Square. The poll tax must be stopped. We're living in Stoke Newington and cooking with Le Crusay. Jumping tables at Joe Allen's, getting high at Ronnie Scott's. The city's going pomo, and everyone's a starchitect where topping out at Broadgate and knocking back Champagne, its private views and canapes and watching all the YBAs swooping over Docklands in a driverless train. A wobbly bridge and fireworks bring in the new millennium with a green Mohicaned Winston painted on the Cenotaph. Spiders stalk the Turbine Hall, and art is powering London.' Millions march against the war, and still they bomb Iraq. Four blasts, four shocks, and London stops. Remember 7-7? There's a whale in the Thames, and she seems to be lost. Somewhere in the east a stadium is rising, while crowds attend the passing of the last route master bus. Shops shutter in the afternoon as hashtag riot is trending. Tents and speakers occupy the space around St. Paul's. Isle of Wonder? Blood-swept lands or fat bergs in a sewer? A tower clad in lies ignites. We stand and watch appalled. Yet I love you still, my London, I love for your people, your crowded, mobbed protesters, your refusal to conform, while we stand against the profiteers, linking arms to stand together. This city is my safe space, my workplace, hearth and home.
1: Recuperation by Lavina Shah I wander through each towered street, past empty air that's deathly quiet. No rumbling commotion beneath my feet, streets soulless, without a riot. Museums without an exhibition to show, shards of glass freeze all the banks. Tourists, With a longing that grows, they glance away and turn their backs. Now we look up at the tinkering lights, amended with power, they leave us in awe. There are a hundred faces enjoying these nights, like we almost forgot the smell of the outdoor. Together at last, elation in the air. Smiles are hidden, but I know they are there.
0: The Lost City by T.C.W. Davis Barry Gastrel didn't like people. Unfortunately, he also lived in London, which put Barry in something of a bind. In London... There were people everywhere. But then in 2010 Barry came up with a very simple solution. He stopped going out. This wasn't as much of a privation for Barry as it might have been for most people. He was retired, had a reasonably sized garden and no family or friends, and when coronavirus hit a decade later Barry found himself watching on with glee, as everybody else's lives were reduced to something resembling his own. In fact, Barry's life improved. The delivery men stopped banging on his door with parcels for other people. The neighbours' interminable building works finally ground to a halt. And when Francesca One of the glossy haired middle class types who had colonized his humble childhood street plucked up the courage to ask if Barry needed help with anything. He replied that he didn't, as she was undoubtedly riddled with disease. Then, after weeks of watching deserted city centers on the news, Barry decided to do something he hadn't done in a long time. He decided to go for a walk. Leaving his house, Barry did feel a little apprehensive, but then he saw the line of shuttered-up shops on the high street, the glorious pedestrian-free pavements. It was a perfect golden evening, more like summer than spring, and seized by a sudden nostalgia, Barry set off up Croom's Hill. His mother used to work as a cleaner one of the grand old houses and whilst the house itself was hardly recognisable thanks to the inevitable scaffolding the thick scent of blossom from the trees outside was exactly as barry remembered it out of breath barry reached the top of the hill and black heath appeared in front of him scorched brown by the unseasonal sun a handful of people Christ crossed it on foot, but there were no cars. Barry traversed the Brow to Point Hill and slipped behind the line of oaks that concealed a secret corner of Heath. Then, beyond that, Barry found what he'd been looking for. All of London laid out at his feet. Barry stood there for a long time. Everywhere he looked, there were new buildings, thickening along the river from the O2 in the east to Battersea Power Station in the west. There were towers all over central London that he'd never even seen before, and the offices on Canary Wharf seemed to have multiplied tenfold. Yet it was entirely silent, as if the entire city had risen up and then been abandoned, just in time for him to return. Barry breathed in deeply. Then he did something else he hadn't done in a long time. He smiled. Barry had almost made it home without seeing a soul, when Francesca appeared on her doorstep. "'Hello,' she said, staring at Barry with a mixture of apprehension and astonishment." Evening, replied Barry cheerily, before he could stop himself.